Welcome to Kidney Talk, a program of Renal Support Network, a show that streams health, happiness, and hope to the kidney community. You can download all Kidney Talk shows from iTunes and find a variety of resources to help you navigate this illness at rsnhope.org. Please welcome your host, Lori Hartwell, who has lived with kidney disease since the age of two. Today on Kidney Talk, we're going to be talking to a very special lady named Mary Wu, and I've been following her on the internet and on her blog, and she talks a lot about, you know, her experience as a patient and living with kidney disease, and um, I'm so excited to have Mary Wu here. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Lori. I'm very, very excited and so honored to to be here with you. I know you just came out with a book called Confessions of a Kidney Transplant Recipient. But before we get into what the book's about, tell us a little bit about why you decided to write this book based on your experience. I decided to write it um, personally for myself. It's definitely, I always say that my health is like an arranged marriage. You know, I really (laughs) had no choice. And again, when do we really have a choice with certain circumstances that come up in our lives? And, um, you know, but I have a choice of how I'm going to deal with it. So it was a very cathartic experience. I decided to write it for myself to get my thoughts, my feelings, try to process everything and get it out. So that was on a personal level. But um, I had no intention of really sharing it with anybody. But then, you know, something shifted in me. And the second part to really writing it was to get the word out about organ donation and transplantation and that I'm one story out of hundreds of thousands and you know it's about really helping others and making a difference and that there's always hope and inspiration and there's always a way to overcome and move forward in life. Well tell us a little bit about your background too because you know you you started young as they say (laughs) Um, your first transplant was at age five in 1987 and uh, how long did that last? That lasted up until I was about 11 years old, and that's when I found out, when I was 11, uh, that's when I found out I had only about 10% function left of the first transplanted kidney. And so was the first kidney from a deceased donor or living donor? It was from a deceased donor. A deceased donor? One of my family was a match. And then the second kidney you received at age 12, um, and was that from a deceased donor or living donor? Deceased donor. I was very, very fortunate, like... I still can't believe it. I'm going on 19 years. Wow. I know. When I got my uh, third transplant because it was a perfect match in 1990, it was like hitting the jackpot because back in the 90s when you had high antibodies levels, you had to get a perfect match. And luckily nowadays there's treatment to help with antibodies for people to get transplanted, but that wasn't an option back in the 90s. Oh, yeah, and the medical advances leaps and bounds. Not to sound cliche, but it's amazing what they can do now. So what was the cause of your kidney failure? It was just luck of the draw, lottery winner. Um, (laughs) I was just born with renal agenesis. Uh, One kidney was shrinking, the other one was deformed. The function was kaput. Um, My parents, I always say that you know, it's really more their story than my story because they had to deal with that, you know, part of my childhood, obviously, and they weren't born in this country because, you know, I always say I'm ABC, American-born Chinese. And as you well know, Lori, the medical world, it's a whole, it really is a whole world in itself with medical language and dealing with the doctors and nurses, insurance companies. So um, by the time I was three, they said that my, you know, I was just, that was it, chronic kidney failure. And I was put on dialysis from the time I was three to five years old. 
it's unfortunate when you know you're young and you have an illness and then i don't know at the same time because uh, I was young, we pretty much have similar stories. It's, you don't know any different. It's, you know, when you get older and you get sick, I think it sometimes can be more difficult than being a child because, you know, you don't know any different. This has been my life. Do you, do you agree with that? I couldn't agree more with you. That's why I said in the beginning, I feel like, you know, it's an arranged marriage. Like, that's all I've known. And mm-hmm. I think it, it gets to be, you know, sort of like that. It's like you have to be really careful not to let it consume you. And that you're not you're not being defined by what you what cards you've been dealt with forever, you know what you know. What are some of the messages people who read the book will receive? Well, the book covers a lot of different topics. It goes chronologically. Um, you know, I really based the beginning portion of the book on my parents because it was really their story. And the takeaway message, just to you know get to the bottom line, it's really about overcoming challenges, hope, inspiration. And what was really important to me to convey is that you are not alone. And I think we all feel that way to a certain degree, but especially when you're dealing with, you know, health challenges and chronic illness, and that's all you've known, there's that feeling like you just get consumed by it, and you're all alone, and this is all you're dealing with, and it just gets to be a very empty, lonesome feeling. And I definitely, that's a huge um, message I wanted to convey. And, but I touch upon a lot of different topics. Um, I t- because it's, you know, chronological, I've went through it since I was young, dealing with insurance companies, dealing into getting into the workforce, you know, high school, not belonging, um, you know, the, the side effects to immunosuppressive medications, and, you know, um, how, you know, our challenges affect so many other people personally, you know, with family and friends, how it can take a toll on them. And, um, you know, even, you know, beyond making a positive difference. Well, tell us a little bit about how your, was your family supportive? My family was amazing. Like, I mean, to be honest, my mom left about three years after my first kidney transplant. So um, that to me just speaks volumes because it really, I mean, I I can't blame my health situation on their divorce. And, you know, I, you know, I've definitely come to terms with that. But it definitely plays an effect when you have when you don't have a good foundation to begin with, and you have a child who's sick. It's just gonna it's just really gonna you know crack away at that foundation and make it even worse. So my dad, I give him major props. He's always been there, you know, in and out with hospital visits and dialysis, and he's always been number one. Um, my I have an older sister who's about six and a half years older than me, and I know it took. I told her too because you get all the attention so they sometimes resent you because wow well you can have this attention if you want I don't want it yeah exactly I you know you can have it I'll, I'll gladly give you no, not have my kidney disease but you can gladly have all my all the attention in the world really um, I really would like for her you know to have had all of that but everything comes in you know circles and everything well you know you often hear about you know families splitting up but because of an illness, but you don't often hear, I mean, or you just assume that it's the dad that can't handle it, you know, because the mother has the maternal instincts and and wants to stay. And I mean, that must have just been devastating, um, you know, because, you know, a girl has a certain bond with their mom and their dad, but you need both of them. But it, it seems uh, that must have been so tragic. Yeah, especially it, it really got to be um, very challenging emotionally, physically, and so forth 
When I got to be preteen and received the news, well, we all received the news that my first kidney transplant was failing. And at that, at that point, my dad was, was in full, you know, the full parenting mode and beyond, playing both mom and dad and, you know, trying to raise both my older sister and me. So I, to me, I have a huge respect for him and what I do, you know, he, you know, I, I just really aim to make him proud and to not share certain things with him now that I'm older with my health things because I know that I can take it on. Right. And I just want to be a little bit more independent. And now how did, how did your dad have, did he have a support system? He, well, I remember after my second kidney transplant that his older sister, he's one out of six siblings. And his older sister came from Canada to, um, you know, try to help out with, you know, taking care of me while he was juggling with, you know, work and everything, all those logistics. And then I also had an aunt who lived locally who also helped out. So they were definitely huge in supporting him and supporting me. But by supporting me, they were supporting him. Right. It does take a village when you have an illness. (laughs) It really helps. You need a big support system around you which really makes it a little bit easier to get through it yeah and there's just such a power in numbers and to have that support it's just tremendous and I know it made a huge difference for me I mean I wrote about my aunts in my book and how they were they were constantly there and you know there for my dad to support him it's so important because if you don't take care of yourself you can't take care of anybody else that's the old message that You know, I have to remind myself continuously that you can't help somebody else if you're not in good shape. Yeah, and sometimes it's hard to because, you know, I know for me, I mean, I'm very gung-ho and, you know, sometimes it's like, whoa, slow down. (laughs) Does your brain work faster than your body? (laughs) Yeah. I have that syndrome. The brain goes at 10, 100 speed and the, the body is just not quite there. So I constantly am having conflicts with myself because I'm like, I want to do that. And then my body's like, no, you're not going to do it. And the brain's like, yes, I want to do it. And, and so, you know, I have arguments all the time with myself. It's quite frightening. They're so interrelated. It's, it's out of this world. But don't you think, and I mean, I was actually trying to really look at this because I will get out of bed when and, and when I'm in pain. I mean, I'd have to be like unconscious not to get up and do something. And a lot of times people tell me you're overdoing it. You know, don't overdo it. And I'm like, you know what? If I don't try to overdo it, I won't get out of bed. It's that perpetual, like, never give up. But if I gave in to any of it and just said, oh, I'm going to take it easy all the time, I would give into that and not be able to overcome some of my challenges. It's it's kind of a, a double-edged sword because sometimes you do need to take it easy, but that that little mental switch that goes on that makes you get up even when you shouldn't is what gets you up when you need to. <laughs> well, I I feel like I'm an extremist. Like it's either I can't do it at all or I got to go above and beyond. I'm always trying to get to that middle ground. You know, somewhere, and balance has been huge for me, you know, just in my life and, you know, just, you know, how I handle things, you know, with health-wise, you know, physically, mentally, emotionally, all of that. That's what I mean when I say health-wise. Well, one of the things I wanted to talk about, and I had the same situation, but we grew up with a chronic illness, a pretty serious chronic illness, and, you know, we have to get into the workforce. And a lot of times it's difficult because we're dealing with serious health issues and sometimes, 
you know, we really can't afford our illness because we need a high paying job to get insurance. And, you know, you really can't start at an entry level because they don't offer the benefits you need. And it's a kind of a catch 22 for a lot of people who are, you know, 19, 20, 21 entering the workforce. Can you tell us a little bit about how you made that transition? Yeah, definitely. I'm happy to share that with you. Well, I um, purposely actually graduated a semester early because I felt that would be to my benefit to get a head start in the job market. And this was back in 2004. So instead of, you know, graduating and finishing up everything in May of 2004, I purposely finished in January 2004. And I was very fortunate in that I knew I wanted to go into something with healthcare social services. So it was definitely a challenge just in itself, the whole job hunting. I always say that it's a job in itself, finding a job. It really <laughs> is. And um, my first job was at a nursing home, but it didn't work out because of things with my health actually flared up. And, you know, um, I was actually dismissed from that position. And then it really, you know, put me in a position where you know, my parents are always saying to me, you need a good job with good benefits, you should get a government job. And then, you know, I was always like, well, I want a job that I enjoy and that I'm passionate about. And they're like, well, you have to be realistic about your health. So that was definitely a big struggle for me because I never wanted to be defined by my health circumstances for what I wanted to do for my career or living. Um, you know, but then I you know, eventually got a job as a case manager, you know, which was a great it was a great position. I love that job because I actually um, took care of and was in charge of 22 to 24 families with, uh, who had children with severe medical needs. And it really hit home for me. And then eventually I said, you know what, I want to work in a hospital setting. And since about 2006, I've been working for um, a cancer center hospital and working with patients directly. So I've been very fortunate, but I keep you know, plugging away and just forcing myself to say, okay, I'm not going to be defined by it. It's just a very, you know, it's definitely a big juggling act with your health stuff, going into the workflow. And then there's that scary moment with, like, the probation period because it's like, oh, what if I don't pass? What about, like, health insurance benefits and all of that? Because they're crucial for us. Well, luckily, you know, next year with health care reform, we'll be able to get something. We don't know what it'll look like, but they can't discriminate anymore with pre-existing conditions. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I mean, not to get political or anything, don't want to touch that. But, you know, it's just health insurance across the board. It's crucial for everybody, but especially for, for us where we've been dealing it with all our lives. And people think that just because you have a kidney transplant, that's it. Like, you're done. You're cured. No, there's still so much with immunosuppressant medications, and there's always that chance, that risk, oh, what if this kidney transplant doesn't last and you have to go back on dialysis, and that's a whole other... That's a whole other bailiwick. Well, you know, and a transplant is not a cure, you know. A cu- it's just another form of treatment for uh, kidney failure. And I think that's a big message to get out, not only to the public, but to other people who have kidney disease, because they think, oh, I get a transplant and I'm cured. Well, we wish that was true. Maybe that'll be true in the future if they come up with some kind of stem cell or something like that, that just makes your body or regenerates your kidney or something like that. But uh, until that, we still have kidney disease. (laughs) You know, I, I have to admit, when I was, you know, when I received my second kidney transplant, I thought, oh, this is it. I'm cured. No, you know, like, no, you know. 
dealing with this and that. And no, like, it, it really has hit home for me. It's not, a, it really isn't. And that's something that needs to be pushed and reiterated to the public. Definitely. Well, I know we have something else in common is that we both recently just had a hip replacement. Now I had my left hip to replace. Which hip did you have? My left hip. Oh, see, we're just like twins. We must have been separated at birth. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I'm not Chinese American. I We must have had different fathers. <laughs> um, so how's it going with your hip? Mine, mine's doing pretty well. It's, uh, you know, one of the things you have to deal with when you take steroids for a long time. And how are you doing? Any health issues that are popping up? And how are you coping with them? Well, every week, it's been a different body part hurting <laughs> to adjust. Because I was diagnosed with the vascular necrosis and osteoarthritis. Like, everything was breaking down with my uh, bones starting when I was 10 years old. So from 10... 30, I was walking the wrong way, you know, compensating my poor right leg. Um, but so every week, it's definitely been, oh, now this body part hurts. Oh, now it's this one. Now it's my feet. <laughs> oh, <laughs> but no. I feel like it's moving down and out. So I think that's a good sign. And it's been, at least the pain is gone. Like that, to me, I still question like, wow, I should, why didn't I do this earlier? Because the pain is gone. It's- with the hip, I mean, isn't it? I used to wake up in the middle of the night with hip pain, and I, it would just throb, and it, it's gone. I mean, you know, now you have other challenges of, you know, getting back to, to moving like you want to move. But, you know, you, you change your gait. Your gait changes, and I don't know, one of my favorite brands of shoe that is so comfortable, there's two of them. One are Merrell's, M-E-R-R-E-L-L. And uh, the other one, if you have a small foot, I have a size two and I wear a size four in women, is um, Monroe's, M-U-N-R-O, for a, a dressier shoe. And I had to go through so many shoes because of I needed extremely good support on my feet at all times. And I no longer wear any kind of heel because I'm short and a couple inches isn't going to help me at all. So it, it's important. I mean, it's it's difficult because, you know, I'm, I'm like, I'm the queen of parts. I have a lot of different parts going on, and, and maybe at some point I should just uh, talk about what's not wrong, what body parts aren't wrong, because uh, you see so many doctors and have so many things, but, you know, life is good. I mean, I'm grateful that I have health care and I have a good life, despite all of those obstacles. Yes, exactly. I can't complain. Well, that's how we're twins as well, because I have about, my feet are about six and a half, and they're, um, I was just diagnosed with really, really flat feet, so I need to get very, you know, I'm very particular about my shoes. Oh, flat feet. See, I have a really high instep. I have the smallest little tiny foot. In fact, I'm going to share this with everybody. I was in the hospital and I had my toenails painted and it was after my transplant and I had, you know, my feet crossed and it was sticking out underneath the sheets and my friend took a picture of it and put it on the internet. And I'm like the number one hit for foot fetishes or something. And I'm like, oh my goodness. I mean, I guess, the, you know, I guess I, 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 people are attracted to my feet. I mean, the weirdos, but. Um, <laughs> that's hysterical. I know. I'm like, well, yeah, my feet look great. Don't look, that's the only part of my body that hasn't been operated on. Um, so tell us a, a little bit about your work about transplant advocacy and awareness. Well, for the longest time, I actually did not want to share my health situations with the whole world. I just, I just didn't, was, just didn't want to go there. 
And then in 2010, I went to the transplant games, which were held in Madison, Wisconsin. And I was totally blown away meeting all these amazing transplant recipients, living donors, organ donor families, you know, anyone remotely involved with the transplant community. And I said, you know what, this is no longer about me. This is about, you know, sharing with the public about our community, about the organ donation transplant community. And so I, you know, just really started to get involved with my local OPO, the New York Organ Donor Network. I have um, a local amazing support group in my suburban area called uh, Transplant Support Organization. And it just slowly branched out to more organizations like Transplant Recipients International Organization. I got in touch. I mean, your organization's amazing renal support network. And um, it led me also to, like, out to California as one of the float riders for the 2012 Rose Bowl Parade on behalf of UKRO, University Kidney Research Organization. And it's just sharing my story, telling people you're not alone, telling people to register as a life-saving organ tissue donor, you know, giving out the information, trying to eradicate those myths and misconceptions, and especially just trying to, you know, bridge the gap. Because I feel like there's such, there's such a gap between the public and, um, you know, the organ donation transplant community, and if they could, you know, intertwine and just, you know, bridge that gap, it would be amazing out of this world. So that's really my goal. And, you know, some people, of course, I'm biased. You know, organ donation transplantation definitely touches me on a personal level. And, you know, professionally, I do all this advocacy work or do public speaking or writing to politicians or just social outreach or whatever it is. But I think, you know, death is something we're all afraid of, and it's something that needs to be overcome. And I say, no matter what your decision is, tell your family. So that's huge, because they're the ones that are going to have to face that. I agree 100%. And it's important for people who have transplants to speak up and say what a wonderful gift it is and and show the gratitude because I know a lot of people like they get transplanted and they just want to forget about it and never talk about it again which is a way of coping with it but I think at a certain point you evolve and realize how fortunate you are at, especially after getting more than one transplant you you really come to terms like oh my god I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for that gift of life I mean the first time you're in shock the second time you're a little bit more educated and then for me the third time you're a pro and then the fourth time you're just like oh my god what (laughs) I mean to George Takai I like George Takai on Facebook and he says WTF so I I won't say what I uh, that is but I do feel that way when I I was told I needed a fourth one but uh well tell us a little bit about your blog and wooisms before we wrap up yeah okay well wooisms is just a coin you know I mean I just you know coin that term um, and it's, you know, I've, I'm very philosophical. Maybe it's, I, I, I can guarantee you I got that from my father. But <laughs> I'm very philosophical, and I love quotes and motivational quotes, life quotes, encouragement. And so my wisdoms are basically, you know, life quotes and hope and, you know, just forging forward in life and not looking back. And actually one of my um, wisdoms I always say to people is, you know, um, learn from the past, uh, live for now, and create your future. And this is something that I really, really live by because I see a lot of people, they, they dwell on their past or they're consumed by it. And, you know, it's, it's, it's really about learning from that. Like, you know, we make mistakes. That's human. You know, that, that's how we learn. And then it's just 
living for now, this moment, and just really having goals and creating your future at the same time. So that's something I definitely live by, and I just created, you know, I just uh, made my website. It's called the Wu Way. I coined a lot of terms with my last name. My father's like, I can't believe so much can come out from the last name Wu. Wu. <laughs> Wu Way. So it's Wu Way.com? Yeah, it's www.thewuway.com. And, you know, it just has my Wuisms, it has um, my blog up there. People can subscribe, and it's just, um, I have, you know, blog updates or you know, book signing things, and definitely important links and resources to organ donation transplant um, organizations, like Renal Support Network is on there, definitely, and also about arthritis, too, and um, that's definitely played a huge part in my life, so that's also on the Wu Wei website, and, you know, it's just a place where, you know, it's a one-stop shop with all this information, and I'm very conscious of the fact that if it wasn't for my organ donor families making their decision, I wouldn't be here. And I'm, I'm just so lucky and so amazed that I am at this point, like, healthy, knock on wood, to do this stuff and pay it forward and help others. Well, that's just wonderful, Mary. I mean, I, I don't think I'm as philosophical as you, so I'll give you a quote before we wrap up. When you have one foot in yesterday and another foot in tomorrow, you're pissing on today. <laughs> Um, so that's what I remember. Live for the moment <laughs> and enjoy every day. So it's a little bit crass, but you know, hey, um, some days I just wake up with a wicked sense of humor, and I really attributed that to one of my donors. It has to be from them. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Mary. And if you want to pick up her book, you can go to Amazon.com, Confessions of a Kidney Transplant Recipient by Mary Wu. And thank you so much for sharing your story. Thank you so much, Lori. It was so great speaking with you. Okay. Have a great day. You too. Thanks for listening to Kidney Talk, a program of Renal Support Network. Please make sure to find us on Facebook or sign up for our newsletter at rsnhope.org. Kidney Talk is intended for informational purposes only. It is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment from your physician. Always seek the advice of your own health care provider regarding your medical condition.